So we're doing a worship um, series, just a couple short weekends. Pastor Stephen opened it up last week. How many of you enjoyed that message last week? I'll never think about mice again in the same way. I know it was about worship, but it was like, okay, I could just see the picture of him out there with a broom and a mouse and Lisa, Pastor Lisa, cheering her hero on. Amen. Anyway, so good. Uh, Eugene Peterson said this, put it so magnificently, worship is a tribute to God when He comes. Darlene Check says, worship is the created. You and I responding to the Creator. And Brother Lawrence, who was a 17th century monk, actually coined the term practice the presence. Practice the presence. Uh, so we're gonna, uh, I'm going to just talk to you about worship this morning. Uh, God's presence defines us. God's presence defines us. Moses had led Israel out of Egypt. And there was this exchange between Moses and God that was so powerful, and it really kind of illustrates the point that I that I just was trying to make. It says in Exodus 33, 14 through 16, and he said, This is the Lord speaking to Moses. Then he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Time out right there. I'm telling you, there's nothing like the presence of God that will actually impart rest to you. You can rest in his presence. A lot of times we are looking for rest. How many people you talk to? How are you doing? I'm tired. How are you doing? I'm busy. I mean, every you know declaration from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? And so you hear this, and yet he says here, he says, if my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. It's important. It's an important principle. And he said to them, back now, Moses is talking to him. He said, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. I don't want to go anywhere without your presence. For Now listen, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not you're going with us so that we are distinct? Somebody say distinct. I and your people, people from every other people on the, on the face of the earth. The distinction that God's people had and have is the presence of God. There's other people that they've got a religious ideology. They've got a philosophy. They've got a way of walking. They've got a way of doing and you can't, you, you can't, you know, I, what, what we're talking about with the presence of God, you can't, like, you can't make it up. You can't fake it up. It's just something that is different that God abides in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. This is what Moses was saying to God. Moses was saying that despite being free from 400 years of captivity, he knew that something else was needed. That that was like, it was cool, the freedom was good. I'm out of Egypt, I'm out of captivity, I'm good, I'm free. You would think that that's all they're talking about. But he realized that it was more than that. It was, it was uh, the presence of God. See, what they needed was that. He had a revelation of what was really needed. And I'm not sure the people had the revelation. You know, they're thinking about, oh, land of milk and honey and promises and and all of this kind of stuff. And Moses had had so many intense, intimate encounters with God. You know, the burning bush. He would meet with God and, and then he had to put a veil over his face. Because his face would be like glowing, freaking people out. 
wouldn't that be the coolest church service? Like, God just comes, got a revival night, whatever we're doing, worship, and you walk out of here and everybody's like, flame on, right? (laughs) Superpower. Be so awesome. But listen to this, Exodus 33, 9-10. When Moses entered, somebody say enter. When Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent, and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship, each at his own tent door. Listen, can I say this? Worship is not a spectator sport. And you can't be content with watching somebody else enter. You can't be content with watching somebody else go in. You've got to make a determination to go in. Make a practice to go in. Make a habit to go in. Worship is one of the greatest gifts of God as, uh, to us as it's the vehicle, if you will, to manifest the open showing Manifest simply means open showing of God's presence. It's like somebody's giving you the keys to the car, right? And, and, and worship is a gift. A lot of times we don't think worship is our response. Yes, that's true. Worship is a gift though, because it's the thing that actually God abides in the praises of His people. And if you don't go in, if you don't enter in, if you are just a spectator, sooner or later you will turn into a critic. Because that's our nature. Just wait till football starts on Sunday morning, right? You're an armchair quarterback. How many of you would would recognize you're an armchair quarterback? Come on, Pastor Stephen, you know that is. Come on, Pete, run the ball. Run the ball. Why'd you throw the ball right there? That we we turn into critics. So bib, worship uh, biblically was to be practiced both privately and corporately. Okay, both were essential and still are. In fact, if you want to weigh the two, there's far more biblical precedent for worship being in the corporate sense than there is in the private sense. You you just just do a study on it. See, in a and there's instruction on worshiping in community. It's amazing how much instruction there is on community uh, worship and in a lifestyle of worship, in a in a biblical lifestyle. The one that we see outlined for us by God, corporate worship was this essential part. David said this, he said, I was glad when they said, let us go up into the house of the Lord. He said, because I know that if I go, I'm going to encounter the presence of God in a different way. There's diff- it's just a different way, okay? It's, it's not like, you know, I've used this illustration so many times, but I'm aware of my wife when I'm texting her, when she's texting me, when she calls me, there's a different level of her presence that I'm aware of, but when it's face-to-face, it's, that's the best, right? Unless you're conflicting and having some intense fellowship. <laughs> then you still shouldn't be doing that over a text, Amen. So we see this essential element, and there's this balance that's needed in every aspect of life. See, as an athlete, think about this, there are numerous disciplines and skills that are needed. You know, maybe God give you, gave you a gift to run, but then you've got to hone it. You've got to train it. A lot of times people will see like, you know, a, a beautiful musician like Reuben or Isaiah playing the drums. They'll think, man, what a gift. I mean, you know how many probably thousands and thousands of hours 
that he has spent on honing that gift. So there's a discipline. There's actually a discipline to worship. Because worship is something that's really it's so essential. And when we, when we look at this, or think about a golfer. You know, a, a good golfer basically has got some disciplines where it's not just how he putts, but it's how he you know, uses all the other clubs. Or to be healthy. Come on, if you're going to be healthy, you know, you're, you're going to have to develop some discipline. Amen? It's easy to not be disciplined. It really is. I, I, you know, I'm finding out, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to just be healthy. I'm like, man, it takes a lot of discipline to be healthy. You know, I, and, and you, know, you, you look at some guy that's in really good shape and you know, he's yoked, he's all jacked up and he's, you know, all this kind of stuff. And you go, how many hours he spent? Not only does he make sure that he's exercising, but he's also eating right. He's watching what he puts in his body. There's a discipline to it. It's easy to be undisciplined. It's so, oh, I love the undisciplined life. Right? Come on, man. I love to be on a seafood diet. Seafood eat it. Cool. I'd love to go to every potluck. I'd love to eat all the carbs I want. I'd love to just do, oh, it's so easy to be disciplined. But then you pay for it later. Sooner or later. There's a discipline to worship. There's a balance to worship. And God has also given us the expressions of worship. Not only did He say, not only is, is worship a gift, but then He shows us how to worship because we, we're, we're not like born knowing how to worship, right? A baby's not born knowing how to speak or walk. You have to teach them. We also find that we cannot worship God in our own. Well, I'm going to worship God in my own way. Well, how is that? Because when I look at the Bible, I actually see that there's a blueprint for worship. But you're better than the blueprint that God put out. Oh, be careful. It's like getting something, you know, and, 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 and it's got assembly instructions. And you, you know, I don't know. I think I could figure this out. And then you have bolts left over. Right? And then you always wonder, hmm, 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 hmm. Well, they were so nice to send me some extra screws and extra bolts and that extra crank and all that. Now I've got parts left over. And you're going, I don't think so. You know what? They're cheap. I've noticed the last few things that I've ordered, they give you exactly what it is and not one extra washer more. I've just realized I need to, I need to look at the instructions. See, we see early on between Cain and Abel that Cain desired to worship God in his own way and not the way laid out by God. And it didn't work well for him or for Abel. Cain's decision to try and worship God in his own way not only was a disaster for him, but for those around him. And in this context of this lifestyle of worship, there's this corporate gathering of God's people that's designed to keep us healthy. And fulfill purpose. And we call it going to church. We call it churching. Planting in a church. Be committed to a church. And yes, we know that individually we are the church, but there's an assembly that God is requiring. It's like building a house and having a foundation poured, and then the lumber company drops off your lumber package. And you're saying, well, there's my house. No, that's not your house until it's assembled. And you can't say, well, my 2 by 4 doesn't get along with the beam over there. There's got to be an assembly. There's an assembly throughout Scripture. If you look at the weight of Scripture, you find out 
that there is actually no contest. God is saying, I've created you. I've called you together. Hebrews talks about forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, but even more so as the day approaches. We shouldn't be assembling less. We should be assembling more. We see a picture of God's people assembling together in the Old Testament. Kind of one of the beautiful pictures of the church in the Old Testament. Nehemiah 8, 5-6. through And it says, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. We see this corporate gathering. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen. And while lifting up their hands, then they bowed low and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. This was a beautiful picture of a worship service. We also see that imperative verse in the New Testament that I just quoted, Hebrews 10.25. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, but encouraging one another. There is an encouragement that we get when we come together. And because of that, I think it can be kind of difficult because the enemy understands that. Amos 3.3 says, how can two walk together lest they're in agreement? So what he does is, you, you, you got to realize the, the, the purpose for us coming together is, is to be encouraged and be supported and be equipped and to move together, right? I mean, it's crazy, but when we look at this, and it's one of the, sometimes it can be one of the most difficult things that we do because people are people. My favorite movie, Robbie will tell you, is Jeremiah Johnson. There's just times I just want to go up and live in a cabin and not have to talk to anybody. But here's the deal. We're created for community, right? And whether you like it or not, pretty soon you're going to be like that crazy old mountain man that's just shouting out and talking to everybody when nobody's around. Or it'll be like Tom Hanks playing, you know, playing in Castaway where he's got this volleyball and he, and he paints a face on it. It's like, Wilson! Because we're created for community. And that very community that God has put us in because He sets the members into the body as He wills is to worship together, to walk together, to build together, to contend together. And sometimes it's not easy because uh, you can get hurt. You know, the body of Christ sometimes, you know, you know, Jesus is looking you know, at it and He's coming for a bride without spot and wrinkle. But right now there's lots of spots and lots of wrinkles and lots of bad breath and lots of teeth missing. And she limps around. And sometimes she's not nice. Sometimes she's rude. Sometimes she's crude. But the problem is, is that we try to separate ourselves from that and it keeps us from actually growing. Because there's this place where it's like, hey, listen, you're going to get to overcome offenses. You're going to get to extend kindness. You're going to get to extend grace. All of this kind of stuff happens in the community as, as iron sharpens iron. One man sharpens another. You know, we say as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Until you get offended with somebody. You know, I'm like, I don't want you sharpening me. You know? I mean, I may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I don't need to get any sharper. <laughs> you know, it's just like this thing, but it's the, the interaction with people and community is what God... Like, think about this. God was never even alone by Himself. In the beginning, let us make man in our image. Always community. And this is part... And when we come together and, and, and we're captivated and we respond and, 
and we, we walk in this incredible atmosphere of worship, which, by the way, is not just like four songs, a poem, and a prayer. It's a lifestyle. But this worship that we're talking about, His presence manifests because the Bible says He abides in the praises of His people. It's like the eyes of the Lord are roaming to and fro throughout the whole earth looking for those whose hearts are loyal to Him. And it's almost like He hears this incredible sound. And He comes. And He manifests. And He shows Himself. And His presence reframes what's been broken. It finds what's been lost. It reshapes us when we're bent out of shape. His presence heals us. It encourages us. It reminds us that we're citizens of heaven and we're seated in heavenly places with Christ. That we're not mere men, but distinct from all other people because the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in us. And He not only sets us free from sin, but also begins to mitigate the collateral damage that sin has done in our lives and touch the hurts. And I've said it so many times before, I think the most glorious sound on the face of the earth is not an elk bugle in September. <laughs> Sorry. But that's, pre- that's pretty awesome. I'm just telling you, if you've never heard one, it, it's pretty cool. I think the most incredible sound on the face of the earth is God's people worshiping. See, and let me tell you why. Because it's the sound within the sound. It's the sound of gratitude that invites God in a more intimate way. And I think if you can hear spiritually what is happening, you hear the mix of heaven and earth. Now, mix. It's it's what our sound guy was doing today. He was taking all the individual instruments and it was actually... He was mixing them. He was making sure, okay, drums are here, guitars here, and Pastor Jeff's guitar is here. And <laughs> right? But he was taking, and he was, he, was, he was actually coordinating this. And so when I think about what's happening when we're singing, is that we see in the picture of heaven is that worship is going on all the time. 24 elders surrounding the throne crying out, holy, holy, holy. And something happens in heaven and something happens on earth when, when God's people are corporally and you can hear the mix. There's, if you Spiritually, you can hear the mix. It's unique. It's a sound of heaven touching earth. We see a picture of heaven. And, and, and think about this. Have you ever recognized the Bible is noisy? Bible is noisy. Okay. Um, wisdom cries out. We see that in Proverbs chapter 8. Loud singing is encouraged. Psalm 66, 8. Symbols clash in praise. Psalm 150. God shouts aloud in Isaiah. His voice is like the sound of many waters in Ezekiel 43. Jesus prays with loud cries and tears in Hebrews 5. And even Romans 8 says creation groans. And on the day of Pentecost, He said they heard the sound of a loud rushing wind. The Bible's noisy. Worship is noisy. Worship is demonstrative. Crazy when we look at this. I didn't recognize this. I thought, I thought worship was just like, okay, it's just me and Jesus got a good thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. Right? That was just me and Jesus. Because we have this independent thing. You know, nowhere in the Bible does it say personal Savior. 
This doesn't. We've created a theology of individualistic Christianity. It's never been that way. We're created for each other. That's hard because I don't always like people. Right? I mean, seriously. I don't like crowds. I mean, I've heard it all. Too many people. I remember one time, this years ago, when we were going to two services, and somebody came up to me and said, Pastor, I don't want to go to two services because you're just trying to big, build a big church. I'm like, I'm not trying to build a big church. I just want a healthy church. And I'm thinking, we need to make room. Make room for people. Make room for the broken. Make room for the lost. I think God wants heaven to be crowded. Seriously. But there's something in us that wants it to be individualistic. All by myself. Somebody should write a song. All by myself. Just want, you know, I mean, seriously, right? I have all these songs that come out sometimes, you know, like back in the 70s and 80s that just like manifest. It's like, stop, stop. But worship is demonstrative. Think about this, 55% of our communication with each other is demonstrative. Why would our relationship with God not be? My uh, Tuesday, August 2nd, Robbie and I will celebrate 42 years of marriage. I know, I've done pretty good, huh? Married way, way above my pay grade. Think about this though, How, what would that relationship be if there was no demonstration if there's no demonstration, and she's a lot better at it than I am. I grew, I grew up kind of stoic, and I grew up kind of like whatever, and I don't like PDAs, that's public displays of affection. She'd get right in the middle of a crowd or something and say, kiss me right here. I'm like, God, I'm not going to do this. Hold my hand right here. It's demonstrative. Why would our relationship with God not be demonstrative? How many of you would love to be in relations where people don't demonstrate anything? Hey, I'm in relationship with you. Cool. Told you I loved you once. Haven't changed my mind. I mean, how many of you guys have got that? Like your wife goes, I love you. They're waiting, waiting, waiting. Then you mess with them a little bit, right? Like, copy. Ditto. Right back at you. It's like, no, no, no. She wants to say, she wants to hear you and see you. Brandon, she wants to hear you say, I love you. And she wants to look right in your eyes. And she wants to see you mean it. Mm-hmm. All right. You know what I'm saying? It's demonstrative. That's good stuff. But yet, why should our relationship with God not be demonstrative? So when we look at the Bible, and we look at the instruction, there's seven Hebrew words that are used to describe praise or worship. The first one is halal. It means hallelujah. Or, you know, if you're like really old school, hallelujah. But the root of this is that to be clear, to praise, to shine, to boast, to rave, to celebrate, or be clamorously foolish. Ah, I'm not giving you permission to do strange and weird stuff in church. But the Bible says that part of worship is actually to be clamorously foolish. So somewhere in this, like, okay, that's either weird or it's foolish. I think it's foolish, so whatever. 
But you see, it's demonstrative. You see, Psalm 149.3, let them praise His name with dancing, making melody to Him with tambourine and lyre. Wow. Dancing. I'm not like much of a dancer, but I'm dancing inside. And sometimes I kind of like, you know, I really feel it. Like, okay, I got it. You know, and you look around, make sure nobody's looking at the pastor. You know, and you see these young people and they're just like, you know, and they're... Oh my! I actually do dance in my house. I do. I go downstairs and I worship, and I'm dancing, and and then and then I'm like, then I'm kind of like, oh, I hope my wife doesn't show up, because this could be really awkward. But I'm actually a really good dancer. I'm just telling you, you're gonna have to trust me, though. You just trust me <laughs> by faith. Or yada. Wow, it's a it's a it's a verb. It's a root meaning. The extended hand to throw out the hand. Opposite would be to bemoan or wring your hands. Like I, I watched Ruth lead worship a few times and amazing. And sometimes she'll, she'll just do this. That's actually, she's actually, she's demonstrating that's what it looks like. I'm like, she's got a Bible up there. Somebody else coming from like a conservative thing will be like, wow, she's getting really carried away. I'm like, she's Bible, man. That's Bible. That's Bible. That's the instructions. That's, that's part of this thing. Or uh, toda. Similar word, but application is thanking God for things not yet received as well as received. So it's like, it's almost like that's the kind of worship and praise that's by faith. It's like you're, you're grateful for, for what God has done for you, but you're also realizing, man, I'm receiving the promises of God. I'm grateful, but I'm also thankful because He's going to be faithful in my future. He's, he's going to bring joy. He's going to bring strength. He's going to bring encouragement to me. And I'm, I'm thankful for Him. Or Shabbat. To shout. Like when we say, hey, come on, let's give a shout to the Lord. It's actually really, really biblical. Shabbat. Shout to address in a loud tone. Wow. Psalm 47.1 Clap your hands. All you people. Shout to God. Shabbat to God with a loud songs of joy or a barak to, now, to, to, to bow down, to, to kneel, to salute. This is more demonstrative instruction on what worship is. Or zamar. I love this one. Zamar. To pluck the strings of an instrument. It gave me hope as a guitar player. Right? <laughs> it gave me hope. I, Robbie and I got married. We hit the road playing rock and roll. And then about a year and a half, two years later, you know, she came to the Lord. I recommitted my life to the Lord. And we started going to church. And I thought, oh man. I, you know, because I grew up in a church with organs and, and robes. Pipe organs, robes. You know, and, and so we go into this church and they have all kinds of stuff. And the pastor finally asked me, he says, hey. He said, why don't you go ahead and play that electric guitar? Blah, electric guitar? Are you serious? Electric guitar? You want me to play my electric guitar? Listen, the church is kind of, it, it's crazy. But I'm like, okay, I think I'm going to do it. So I'm playing up there. I'm like, oh, I'm waiting for somebody to like, mm, okay, how's this going to work? Anybody going to like start manifesting out there? You know, and I'm pretty sure I'm turning up a little bit. I'm like, okay, this is really cool. And then afterwards, the oldest lady in the church comes up to me 
And I'm like, oh, I'm going to hell. I am. This is what's going to happen right now. She is, she's going to base it. And she comes up to me. Her name was Joy Peterson. She comes up to me and she shakes me, at her bony finger, like that prophetic bony finger, right at me. And she just says, young man, you just keep playing that guitar. And I'm like, oh, I'm free. Just let the dog off the porch, y'all. Pluck the strings of an instrument to heal. The singing of halals, to sing or to, to laud. So I, 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 listen, if you look at this, these are different forms of worship. And I know for me, I grew up in a really conservative stream where, man, I remember the first time that I saw somebody raise their hand up and I'm like, get a hold of yourself, man. Get a hold of yourself, man. You're being way too emotional. Crazy. I thought somebody ought to pack the guy out, right? Men don't get emotional. But I realized, man, there is this, there is this like David coming into Jerusalem, dancing before the, the ark, bringing it in. And, and we see that his wife, Michael, despised him. The Bible says from thereafter, she was barren. Something in us that's barren can be brought to life by embracing and understanding the great gift of worship that God has given us. I want to make three declarations to you, maybe four, this morning that come out of Psalm 69. You guys all with me? Psalm 69, 29. Here's David. He says, But I'm afflicted and in pain. Let your salvation, O God, set me on high. I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or a bull with horns and hooves. And when the humble see it, they will be glad. You who seek God, let your hearts revive. So first of all, first declaration is worship involves your will. It involves the will. You make a determination to worship. Sometimes we've come in and because things are Oh man, it's just been a terrible week, and I've, you know, I've lost my, you know, I've lost this, or I've, and maybe something's happened. Maybe you have lost your job. Maybe you've lost your dog. Maybe you've lost somebody, or you come in and maybe you've got the promotion and you got the bonus, and then it's all it's it's easy to do this. But David is saying, listen, he says, I will praise God's name while I'm afflicted and in pain. And sometimes when you enter into worship and your deepest affliction and your deepest pain, that will be the most intimate that you ever experience God because He's with the brokenhearted. He's, he's actually in that place. So it involves the will. And you may not feel always like worshiping Him, but making an act of your will. It's a decision that you make. I will worship. Second declaration, worship is pleasing to God. This will please God in verse 31, more than the ox, more than a bull with its horns, and it's hooves. It's saying this is the acceptable, the acceptable sacrifice. We, we, re, we used to sing that song. I, I sing the sacrifice of praise. And that's praise when you don't feel like praise. But you're going to push through it anyway. Or worship, the third declaration is worship affects others around you. I'm telling you something. When you, will, when you step into that place of worship, it'll affect others around you. It says that the poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. And then finally, worship starts with gratitude. 
I love this. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. So here's this amazing vehicle, if you will. Principle. Gift. That God has given us. And now He actually gives us the key. It would be like somebody giving you your dream car. Right? Your dream car. 69 Mustang Fastback. Oh, not a full... Pontiac Trans Am. Okay. All right. I'll pray for you later. <laughs> but it'd be somebody like giving you your dream car. And they go, here's your car, bro. But you can't have the keys. Nah, Johnny wouldn't hotwire it. But so God gives us the keys. When somebody comes to my house, they know which door to enter. When somebody comes to our house and we're not there and they need to come in, Robbie will hide a key somewhere and tell them where the key is. Here's the key. The key is this. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. When we... When we, when we look at that, we realize, man, He's made it simple. Here's how we walk in this thing. So I start every day, just practical. I start every day. I might have a ton of things on my heart. A ton of things on my head. I might have stuff that's just like, man, I, this is just an absolute quagmire. This is incredibly difficult, but I'm going to start by saying, God, I thank You. God, I thank You for life. I thank You for breath. I thank you for my wife. I thank you for my children. I thank you for start. And then move into your prayer, your, peti- your petitions and things like this. I love the story about the ten lepers that Jesus encountered. So, what's happening is there's these... Leprosy was a, was a terrible thing. Let me, let, let me just kind of describe it to you. In Leviticus 13... 42 through 46. It says, if he has a reddish white sore on his bald head or forehead, it's an infectious disease breaking out on his head or forehead. Sounds kind of redundant. Okay. The priest is to examine him, and if the swollen sword sore on his head or forehead is reddish and white like, like an infectious skin disease, the man is diseased and is unclean. The priest shall pronounce him unclean because of the sore on his head. The person with such an infectious disease must tear what must wear torn clothes, let his hair be unkept, cover the lower part of his face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. And as long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live alone. He must live outside the camp. So there's these ten guys. There's this company of men. And they have this leprosy, which really is such a great illustration of of sin today and how it's just impacted everybody. But they've got this leprosy and they're outside the camp. They're not even supposed to actually be together. They're supposed to be alone. But yet company, you know, misery and company just kind of go together. And and unkept clothes and and, and hair and and face. and, And they've heard about Jesus. They've heard about him in the market square. They've heard him about him in the coffee shop from a distance. They've heard about him and then they finally see him coming. And they cry out to him. 
Because they realize this is the only hope that we have. We've heard about the miracles. We've heard about the grace. We've heard about the love. And we have nowhere else to go. Jesus. And so we pick up the story in Luke 17, verse 14. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Time out right there. You'll find obedience is one of the best ways that you can walk into your wholeness. I'm telling you, they've just started obeying. And they went. I'm I'm telling you, he said, go and show yourself to the priest. I'm like, okay, man, but I got like uh unkept and clothes and and, and lesions and parts of my, my body are falling off. This is how tragic this was. And as they went, they were being healed. Can you just picture that story? They're over here and they're like, okay, oh man, I'm going up to the altar, I guess, and I've had prayer, but going in. Suddenly it's like, whoa, something's changing. Something's cha- They're going. They're going to show the priest. And on the way, one of them stops. And he goes back to Jesus. And, and, and we pick it up. He says, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he, he turned back. I don't think he ever made it to the priest. He's like, I'm on the way and I'm healed. Hold it, you guys go on, but I've got to go. I got to go give some thanks. I got to go be grateful. And then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed. Where are the nine? Now I think that's kind of a cool picture, really. Here's nine, and here's the priest and the priest's wife. And he says, Hey, honey, them guys that have been on the corner for years, they're they're knocking at the door. Why are they there? They're they're lepers. Because they've been healed. How many have been healed? All of them have been healed. Wow. What a picture. And then Jesus said, Was no one found to return and give praises to God except this foreigner? And He said to him, Rise and go your own way. Your faith has made you well. Can you imagine the scene? The key that we find to this complete healing was His gratitude brought him back into the presence of Jesus. I think it's profound. I mean, before Jesus was like, you know, he's addressing a company of these guys. And now, this guy comes back. He's worshiping in the presence of Jesus. See, your thankfulness and gratitude is the key to entering into God's presence. Your praise in response to the goodness of God initiates an abiding of God's presence in His people. There's just something where it's like, oh, I hear the the praise of my people and I'm going to move in their midst. They're entering in. They're not content to just stay outside the tent. They want to go in. They're not content to watch other people enter. They want to enter themselves. They want to go in. And because they want to go in, I'm going in. And when I go in, I'm changing everything. When I'm going in, I'm going to refrain some things. I'm going to restore some things. I'm going to give hope where there wasn't hope. I'm going to, I'm going to break anxiety. I'm going to break addiction. When I go in, things change. When Jesus enters the room, I'm telling you what, everything shifts. 
And that's why worship is so imperative. That's why worship is so important. Because as we come into this place and we're responding to the goodness of God and we're seeing the beauty of God and we're loving and we're understanding the grace of God, then God actually breathes into us new life again and He fills us with His Spirit again. It's a consistent thing. It's a needed thing. I'm telling you what, you know why we need it? Because we leak. We just let stuff ooze out of us, right? And we got filled up again. If you want to be filled up again this morning, stand to your feet and let's worship the Lord. Let's Shabbat the Lord. Let's give a loud shout. Come on, let's put our hands together and give Jesus a praise this morning. He's amazing. We're going to worship you. We're going to, we're going to cry out to you. We're going to give you the glory. Father, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for your goodness. You are a good God.